Well, good morning. Uh, good to see you guys this morning. I'm Tim Rogers, uh, lead pastor here at Grace Point Church. Glad to have you guys. Thanks for making it um, this special morning for some in our midst. It's a very special day. Um, a couple of people from GPC are getting married later this afternoon um, at Landis Valley. So Alicia Byler and Justin High, we're looking forward to that event later on. If you weren't invited, just come for the free food afterwards. Uh, I'll just tell them I sent you, that would be fine. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Hey, um, before I get started on the message this morning, I want to take a few minutes um, to talk to you about something that's very important in the life of our church, something that has developed over a couple of years. You've heard about it and you've seen um, some conversations about it, but I want to take a few minutes now to formally talk about Together 2013. Um, Together 2013 for us at, at uh, GPC is um, a growing partnership that we have had with uh, really four other organizations in our community. The Factory Ministries, Keystone Church, Peckley Valley School District, and uh, Paradise Township. And with Together 2012, we did last year, and then before that we did the great send-off of 2011. For the past couple of years, our church has been trying to be more strategic in our mission outreach, both internationally and locally. And so for those of you who are new to this event and this initiative, I want to give you a little bit of that history. The Together 2013 is our way, and the Together Initiative is our way as a church to, to not just throw our doors open and say, hey, you're welcome here, but for us to go and say, listen, how can we serve you in our community? And what we like to do is we like to go to our community leaders who are already engaged with our community and say, how can we serve you? How can we help you? So we don't come with an agenda to say, this is what we want to do, and this is the money we have for you to do whatever you want. We say, how can we, as volunteers and 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 believers, friends in this community, supporters, how can we serve you as a community? And so what we do is we end up talking to community leaders about what can we do. And we come up with some initiatives that we think will work and can work. And so last year for Together 2012, we did a lot of things, didn't we? Yeah, we, we did a lot. It was amazing, actually. It was really um, quite a push. This year, we have some similar things that we're pulling out for Together 2013. Um, everybody who was a part of the game last year, so to speak, in terms of leadership in the organizations, was so um, enthused about the opportunity to work together again this year, to be honest. It was really a win-win all around, or a win-win-win-win-win, and you get all the organizations involved in that. So here's Together 2013, just a brief snapshot. I want to tell you about it briefly here. What we are going to be doing this summer and, and beyond is, number one, we would like to complete um, the factory kitchen. This is this is a really lofty goal, to be honest. So the factory kitchen also is known as the, the food ministry center. Um, you may see that language in other places. That's the building, the shell of a building that's up right now on Singer Avenue as you go, go down toward Route 30 right here. That building, we anticipate, will be um, housing basically two kitchens, a dining area, a walk-in refrigeration area, a pantry, and then food storage stuff upstairs as well, as well as an office for the food ministry's coordinator. Um, we anticipate this building replacing the old model of a food pantry where you just come and get food and we don't know who you are. This is going to replace that with a more relational model. When we talk about serving our community, we talk about doing it, and Chuck Holt, director of the factory, talks about doing betterment in the context of development. So we want to do betterment, but we want to also connect with people and develop 
um, something within them. So we want to use this place as a, a core, a hub for um, nutrition training, if you will, cooking classes, baking classes. How do you put together um, a shopping list for the store? How do you, I mean, I, don't, I need to take that class, right, personally? Um, but how do you do these things and, and kind of prepare the whole nutritional arm of your family unit? And how can we support the community in developing that? Um, so we would like to finish that. That is going to be, I'll tell you now, we think right now that's a $70,000 ask on that one. Okay. So if one of you wants to step up and do that, that'd be awesome. That, that's the big deal. Now, can we complete it? I don't know. Okay, I don't know if we can do that, but we're going to talk about fundraising later on. But this is, this is what we're looking to do to try to finish the inside of that. That number, by the way, will come down if, there are, um, if there's any volunteer labor or materials. That, that's kind of your top-end number. It may come down. We'll have to see about that. So that's the completion of the factory kitchen. We also would like to renovate the old Paradise Elementary for a furniture bank. Um, we did some renovations of the old Paradise L last year, and we did that for getting ready for the new factory youth center to, to be housed there. If you haven't been there uh, on a Monday or Thursday night, you'll see that they're using all the rooms well. Now there's extra rooms, and we'd like to um, have locally within our immediate area a place for people to go to who need furniture to come and buy it for, for cheap. We're not looking to give the furniture away. Uh, we're not looking to enable, but do a hand up and not a hand out, as they say. So we're looking to price the furniture at a more reasonable uh, rate, but we need to renovate about two rooms to make that happen. Those rooms have exterior entrances so they can function outside of the normal operation of the youth center. The factory ministries will oversee all of the, the operations of the furniture bank, but our role will be uh, do some basic renovations, basic renovations, aesthetics, no knocking out of walls or anything like that, but some basic work to get ready for the furniture bank. There used to be a furniture bank at Petra in New Holland that closed, so right now there is no furniture bank in our immediate area, and so there's a need for that here. Okay? Uh, number three, we're going to be adding on to the current Pequay Valley Summer School, summer camps, they call it, it's summer school, uh, particularly with the elementary age kids. Um, it was a really unique conversation when I sat with um, Pastor Joel and I were um, over at Stoltzfus Restaurant in Intercourse with Eric Orndorff, Superintendent, and John Bowden, the CFO of the district. Um, and basically what they told us, and get this, this is going to be interesting. They said, uh, you can deliver whatever content you want to, and we'll bust the kids to you. that interesting? You can deliver any content you want to including any of your faith content that you want to, and we'll bust the kids to you. It's interesting. Isn't that cool? So here's, that's part of what happens on the back end is they begin to say, well, maybe we can trust the organization. Maybe we can trust what you guys are doing. So we'd like to, in partnership with the factory, add on to the four weeks of summer school programming that they are going to do in the month of July. July 9, I think, is a Tuesday. July 9 until I think it's August 1. Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday in the month of July, they're going to do their summer school programming. We're going to add on about two hours of programming on the after lunch in the afternoon um, in partnership with the factory. We're still developing that, um, that curriculum, essentially. But we're going to need volunteers to help both in the development of that and also just in being there, particularly in the afternoons, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday um, in July. Some more info will be coming about that, but that's the summer school programming. We also have a Safe Families Initiative. Um, this is in partnership with the factory and also with Bethany Christian Services. Um, this is a, an opportunity for you as a family um, to, to support a, a 
child in need in the Pequay Valley community. This is a step before foster care. Um, this is not to be confused with foster care. This is a short-term kind of aid situation where your home could be a safe place for a student. Only within, we're looking just within the Pequay Valley School District, where you can um, house a student within the PV District in your home. If you have interest in that, Bethany Christian Services will walk you through. They'll vet you, basically. They'll go through an application process. They'll do some background checks on you. And then they'll equip you and train you and, and support you in the, oh, now what do I do? And this happened and that happened. And that's, what do I do? What do I do? They're there for the support of that. So Safe Families Initiative, we're going to be launching this. this well, it's actually beginning now. And we're also looking to clean, again, we did this last year, cleaning um, basically all the roads in Paradise Township. It's about 32 miles of roads, I think. We're going to do that on some Saturdays, I believe. Those dates will be coming up. Um, we lost no people in that project last year. Everyone was alive. It was a good project for families and small groups, and everyone did survive that. That's a really pretty clean operation, so to speak. Um, it, it flows really easily. Uh, here we go. Contribute toward a new playground equipment project at Paradise Park. If you've been to the old the, to Paradise Park now, you'll see there's a slide there that's been there since uh, Adam walked the planet. Um, it's been there forever. Not just about the slide, but the whole all the equipment is just uh, uh, use the word dilapidated. I guess it's deteriorating. It's just going downhill. So we're not sure, to be honest, where this project lands. It's going to be somewhere on a continuum of anywhere from twenty thousand to two hundred thousand dollars. Okay, how about that? So right now, I don't know exactly where it's going to land, and we don't know yet. That's still a dynamic situation. What we do know is we would like to contribute toward that um, new playground equipment happening. We've been in contact with the Parks and Rec um, committee or team about that. Okay? We also are looking at Paradise Park beautification. This is kind of what it sounds like. Um, tree planting, mulching, flowering um, um, at Paradise Park, getting the park um, really beautified, if you will. I don't know what the right word is for that, but Paradise Park beautification. We're going to pull this one out again. Last year we did, every Friday night in July, we had a block party at, at the park. And that was really fun, to be honest. I mean, it was great. A couple hundred people there every Friday night. We had a great time with it. And we're going to do it again this year in partnership with Keystone again. Um, and that is simply a time to invite the community to come and eat with us. And there's no other agenda that night. Just get to know one another in our community. That's really all that it is. Time just to connect and network with people. That's going to happen again this summer. Okay? And the final thing right now is we're going to sponsor workshops through the factory. That, that would mean the Getting Ahead workshop that we do. Um, some of you here this morning have taken that. Others know about that. But that's a, a workshop that's meant to help you get kind of from where you are to where you would like to be and kind of uh, your, your preferred future, if you will, and support you through that. That, that. that is about a $450 per person workshop, ultimately. So you can kind of do the numbers. If you have 10 people, you can see how much that costs and all that, right? So we're going to sponsor some of them, okay? So this is kind of the deal behind Together 2013. Hmm? Yeah? All right? It's going to happen again. We're going to, we're going to keep rolling information out, but I wanted you to know this is going on. This is the, these are things that are happening. A couple more things quickly. You've heard about the Run, Ride, Walk. Just to put them together in case they're not in your brain yet, the Run, Ride, Walk is the main fundraising arm of Together 2013. Together 2013 is the initiative that we're doing. Underneath that, how do we get money to do all that stuff? It's a, the, the Paradise Run, Ride, Walk is the system by which businesses and individuals in our community can contribute to Together 2013. To be honest, people, when they hear about this, business leaders included, just want to help. You know, how can we help? This sounds good. This sounds like a win, win, win. How can we get involved? Here's how you can get involved. Train, sponsor, give, support, and it goes to our, all of it goes to our community. 
100% goes to our community. Okay? So that's the run, ride, walk. That's June 15. You're all going to want to do the 5K or the bike ride or the walk, right? Yeah, baby. Yes, you are. All right. We can do something. There's a kids' fun run there and all that. Okay, so that's out there. You can register now. And here's what you can do. There's a couple of websites for you to know about. Uh, number one, our website that we will have now going forward is togetherforthegood.com. I will tell you now, that's in, um, that's in process. It's ready enough for you now to register for the Run, Ride, Walk. Togetherforthegood.com, you can successfully register for the Run, Ride, Walk. More information will be on there about our projects and how to volunteer. That will be kind of the clearinghouse for how you get involved in Together 2013. No matter where you are, if you're Keystone or the school district at Grace Point, that's going to be our central landing spot. And on Facebook, you can find us at facebook.com backslash Together for the Good. Okay? Together 2013, I'm excited about it. I think it'll be another great opportunity for our partnerships to mature and for relationships to grow within our area. So there you go. Sound good? Let's do it. All right. Woo! All right. Commercial over. <laughs> Thank you for that uh, and for, for your interest in that. Um, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for you guys and the partnership that we have and the work that we're doing. I think it's, I think it's really cool. From my end, I'm, I'm really excited about what I'm seeing with the leaders that I talk to and the, the impact in our community. So good stuff. All right. Now, here we go. Uh, when we get together as a church body, we, we, need, to, we need to stay um, grounded in truth somewhere, right? And what we do every time we're together is we stay grounded in the scriptures and the word of God. We believe at Grace Point that the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than two, any two-edged sword. It is authoritative for our life. And so we like to spend some time asking, what in the world does God's word have to say about my life? So in case you're new to, to GPC, this is what we do. And we're in a series right now in the book of Romans in which we're calling the series Just Did It. Uh, we're really just completely ripping off Nike's slogan. You can probably tell that already. Completely ripping that off and, and making it our own. Um, no creativity there whatsoever. It just They came up with it and we decided to manipulate it. The Just Do It from Nike uh, inspires within you this confidence to try to just do it, right? I mean, we've talked about that a couple times where you just want to... You watch those commercials, right? You want to go out and you want to sweat and do more than you ever have done before, some of you. The rest are like, yeah, you can have that, right? But that's the intent. It's to get you doing something harder than you ever have. And the reason we call this series Just Did It is because what Jesus did on the cross is he secured for us a layer of peace and righteousness, we call it, that will never come by just trying to do it ourselves. And so we're taking that slogan from Nike that wants us to push hard individually into succeeding, and we're saying, listen, all of that work will never be enough to secure God's peace and righteousness. And so we need to, at some point in our lives, come to the realization that Jesus did it. He did it. He, he did all that I'll ever need. It's done just did it. And so, in this series now, we're now three weeks uh, into it, and then I took a little break, and now I'm back, and Chuck spoke last Sunday, uh, shared about his father and the passing, and some lessons learned there. What we've seen so far in the book of Romans is that Paul is writing to a group of people in, the, uh, in Rome. Paul is an early apostle of Jesus, 
and he's, he's writing to the church in Rome, and, and the church has kind of gone through some transition. There are some people who were Jewish who started the church, and they had to leave because of some persecution. And so then the Gentiles took over and led the church, and now the Jews are coming back because the emperor died who didn't want the Jews there anymore. So now they're trying to figure out how do we do church together? They're not really yelling at each other yet. They're just confused. How do we do this? Because we used to be in charge until we got kicked out, and now we're in charge, and it's working fine. So how do we do this? And so Paul is introducing to them again, what do you keep your vision on? What do you keep your focus on? And really, the book of Romans is about the gospel, plain and simple, and righteousness. And so he's introduced already in the first couple of, cha- couple of verses the idea that the gospel, or Jesus, has come And Jesus um, has been spoken about by the Old Testament prophets. Uh, This is not a new concept. He's trying to tie into the Jewish heritage. And then he's saying this righteousness is available by faith. And then last time we were together, we saw that that Paul wrote, you know, and not only is the righteousness of God revealed, but also the other thing that's revealed is the wrath of God that's revealed. And the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness of man who suppress the truth of God by their unrighteousness. In other words, when we choose to do things that um, suppresses the truth of the character of God, suppresses that he is a forgiving and gracious God, suppresses that he is a, a loving God, suppresses that he is a just God, when we do things like having be, being image bearers and we suppress that, then, then there's this layer of, of um, discipline that will have to come by the reality of our sin. So now we're getting into a passage that is, um, to be honest, is, is probably equally as difficult to speak on as the one that I was just in uh, two weeks ago. Uh, this one is, is just a little bit sticky as well. So to get us to think about how we walk into this passage and kind of the mindset of it, uh, by show of hands, how many of you have ever, as a kid, um, been in a situation where you felt like you were smarter than your parents? Yeah. The rest of you are lying to me right now. I know it. (laughs) There's sometimes in life when we think we're smarter than people who are smarter than us, right? Particularly when it comes, this, this season right now is really unique because it's warm out in the middle of the day, right? But in the morning, yeah, it's not. So, as a kid, how many of you as a kid ever walked out of the house and your mom or your dad said, hey, get, grab a jacket? And you were like, no, I don't, I don't need a jacket. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Anybody ever, anybody ever do that? Come on now. Seriously. Seriously? All right. Right? Yeah. And so, I, so as a parent, you're like, listen, it's 33 degrees outside. The t-shirt is not going to cut. I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't need a jacket at all. I don't need a jacket at all. And so as a parent, then what do you end up doing? After a while, after a couple of weeks of that, you're like, right? Fine. Fine. Go outside. I mean, I'm not going to say I told you so, but go outside. And then they come back in. Like, maybe I'll stay inside for an hour. Maybe I'll get my jacket. Isn't it funny how we do that sometimes? And the, the issues get a little more complex as we get older. Because there is something within us, even as kids, that makes us want to be independent and makes us want to feel like we're smarter than people who are smarter than us. 
It starts with jackets and coats and not ever wanting to zip your coat up. I did not like to do that when I was a kid. Now, I grew up in the Caribbean, so it was never cold. But when I came back here, I really didn't like that whole idea of having to put a coat on. Well, it goes from parents telling kids to put coats on to parents telling kids, you probably shouldn't date that person. And you're like, no, I think I got this one. Anyone ever been there? <laughs> right? And then it goes to, <clears throat> you get your first or second or third job, right? And the job is going badly, and you come back and you tell mom and dad, I'm just going to quit this stupid job. This is terrible. This is worsening the world. And who are these slave drivers who, you know? And they're like, okay, that's fine. You can work through that, but you need to get another job first before you quit that job. No, I don't. I'm just so worried. And then you just quit, right? Because you're smarter than people who are smarter than you. Then you realize, man, I don't have a job. I don't have money. Why can't I go and do the things? Well, what's wrong? Well, hello, right? I mean, so the things kind of get a little more important. And then somewhere along the line, you're like, well, maybe I should, or someone told me not to marry that person. Now it gets a little more serious, right? And someone smarter than me said, I probably shouldn't marry that person, and I did. And now it gets a little more complicated, because do I divorce, or do I work through this, and now the kids, and sometimes, mm, you know, what do I do with that? And then the whole work thing again, when you're in a career, I probably shouldn't have taken that job, or I probably shouldn't have cut the corner with the boss when he pushed on that. And there's something within all of us that has that independence streak. And this morning, what we see God doing in the, the passage of Scripture we're in is acting almost like that parent that says, um, I told you to put your jacket on, and you don't want to, fine. Have it your way. Go to it. But the issue is more serious than a jacket in the text we're in. It's more complex than that, and it's more profound than that, and it's more troubling than that, and it's more, it's uglier than that this morning. And this is where we are this morning in the text. God, almost like functioning in a parent role, saying, okay, fine, smarty pants, you want it your way? You want, you want to figure it out? Have it your way. But the issues on this table, the stakes are higher than simply getting goosebumps on your forearms when you go outside. So let's look at the text and see what that is. If you have your Bible, turn over to the book of Romans. We're in Romans chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one near you in that pew um, around you there. And we invite you to take that Bible if you don't own one and to, to keep that. That's our gift to you today. Romans chapter 1, verses 21 to 32 is where we will be. If you haven't found Romans before, you'll um, go to the, like the back third of your Bible and you'll start in the New Testament. And you'll see four Gospels. They're named after four uh, disciples, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then you'll see a book called Acts, which is the Acts of the Apostles, and then you get into Romans. So it's the sixth book in the New Testament. Romans chapter 1, verses 21 to 32, and I'm just going to read through the whole section to begin, and then we'll go, all right? Verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. 
men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do those very things, but also approve of those who practice them. How about we just pray here and dismiss? <laughs> I'd like to take you um, back a couple days in my life to when I was forcing my way through this text um, earlier this week. And I know the way I do things, I know where I'm going weeks or months ahead of time, but in the week leading up to a message is when I'll really dive into it in a deeper level. And that's what this week was for me. I forget what day of the week it was. But I want to take you back a couple days to to when I was working on this passage. And I end up printing off passages like this um, from the computer so I can just write on them with different color ink and kind of just see what is going on in the text. And so I'm going to violate every uh, rule of public presentation with the next slide you're about to see up here. Okay? And here's what it is. Can you guys read that back there? <clears throat> Good. Okay, this is, and I don't know really how else to do that, but this is all the passage that I just read to you. Okay? So it's really not all that important that you can read all the words on this because you're going to see um, what basically is going to be duplicated on this screen is going to be some of the notes that I made. I'm going to color code it so we can see it easier. So if you're in the back, you should be able to see this just fine because the color will show up as we go. But there are certain things that happen in this passage that give us an insight into what is going on within this passage. And I just kind of want to lead you through that and make some commentary about it. Okay, the first thing we see on this passage is really one word repeated three times. And you'll see it here in verses 21, 22, and 32. If you can't read that in the back, number one, you should have said up front. Okay, number two, number two, no, I'm just kidding. Number two, um, here's what it is, although... Verse 21, for although they knew God, they knew the glorified him as God and our gave thanks. Number two, in verse 22, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And then all the way down to verse 32, although they know God's righteous decree, that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do them, but approve of those who practice them. There's three all those. This is the first observation I have. I'm like, wow, isn't that profound? Look at me, finding the all those. And I stop, you stop and think about that and look at that and you realize, here's what is, is happening. Number one, the, the condition is they knew God. Okay, they knew God. And this is what Paul had just written about in the previous verses. That is that, that God's invisible um, attributes, his, his power, his nature has been clearly revealed through creation. That's what he just wrote about in the verses before verse 21. So the people, the people, whoever the people are, right? The people, they knew God. So they know God. And then the second although is although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Okay, so in other words, yeah, I know God and I think I'm smart. They became fools. In other words, play this one out. Although they know, let's go back to our jacket. They know God. In other words, they know in this case that moms and dads are going to like this. They know we're going to substitute God for parents today. Isn't that cool? You can use that this week with your parenting. 
although the kid knows God, in a sense, although the kid knows mom and dad's desires, they claim to be wise. I know, I know that I'm going to be fine out there. I don't need the jacket. Although they claim to be wise, they became fools in the process. So they know the right thing to do. They think they're making a good decision, and then the result is they become fools. And then the last thing, what happens is, although they know God's righteous decrees, they not only do these things, but they encourage others to do them. It's like, yeah, I'm freezing. I'm not cold out here at all. Like, I'm fine. And other people need to come out and be warm like me out here. Like, I, refusing to ad- admit that mom and dad were right because, man, I'm smart, right? I mean, come on out, guys. It's, you don't need that jacket out here, right? And this is what's happening. Although they know God, they, they claim to be wise, their activities show this is foolishness, but instead of turning and repenting and going back to what God wants, they take that other step a little further and say, no, I'm just going to kind of keep doing my thing, and I need to validate my decisions. I need other people to come do dumb things like me. I mean, that's kind of what's happening. So this is what's happening, first of all. These people, right, whoever these people are, clearly not you and me, these people are doing this. Second thing I notice is another word that shows up three times, and that is here in verses 23, 25, and then down over here in verse 26. Exchanged, okay? So although, verse 22, though they claimed to be wise, they became fools. In 23, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man. Verse 25, then they exchanged, again, the truth of God for a lie. And then verse 26, even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. So there's something going on in the text where Paul's acknowledging this is the action that men take. They take what God has and they exchange it for what they have, which is always a good idea, right? Hey, God, yeah, I know that you're God, but I'm me. So I'm going to take... Me, and I'm going to take you, and I'm going to kind of rotate them. I'm going to kind of put you over here and me here in the position of authority. I'm exchanging your role of authority for mine. And let's see how that works out, right? And what happens, interestingly, as you're looking through this passage and reading through it, you'll also notice that after every exchange, there's another phrase that shows up three times. Again, verse 23, you see it. Excuse me, verse 24, God gave them over. 26, he gave them over. 28, he gave them over. After each exchange, there is then an action of God to say, I'm going to give you over. You, you don't want to wear your jacket outside? I'm not going to stop you. Go out. Enjoy the warm 32-degree weather out there. Have a good time. After every action of man to exchange the glory of the immortal God for their glory, then God makes an action too, and that is he... All right, how about it? I'm not going to force you to stop that. I'm not going to force morality on you. I'm not going to force my worldview on you, if you will. I'm not going to force this on you. I'm going to allow you to experience the consequences of your choice. You gave them over. And so the question is, what happens? What is created? What is created within our hearts and our minds when God, King of the universe, gives us over to the decisions that we make that are against him. And this passage is just full of really negative imagery about what happens. It's really kind of, to be honest, a depressing passage. that leaves us kind of depressed if this is all we ever have. And what I did next is I just kind of took another pen and and highlighted where um, the words show up that describe 
the impact of sin in our lives. And so you're going to see that show up kind of all over, and it's in red, and I think you should be able to see it, beginning in verse 21, and we'll just kind of let that go, and you can see that coming. From verse 21 on down, their thinking became futile. God allows men and women who make a decision to exchange what he wants for what they want, that their thinking becomes futile. Have you ever felt like, man, I don't know why I can't figure out what to do with my life. I don't know why I can't. This does not make any sense. I'm just stuck. I'm just stuck. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on. Their thinking became futile. Their hearts were darkened. Their hearts were not able to to feel his presence, not able to see the right thing to do, not able to get through the situation. They claimed to be wise, they became fools. Look at all these words, sinful desires, sexual impurity, um, a degrading of their bodies. All of us, to some degree or another, have experienced sexual impurity, and when we do, we've experienced that degrading of our bodies, like, man, that wasn't worth it, and that really devalued, that really devalued how I've been made. This is what happens, the degrading of our body. The truth is exchanged for a lie. Shameful lusts come into play. Natural relations are exchanged for unnatural relations. There's indecent acts that occur. There's perversion, verse 27. Now I'm down into verse 28. You get a depraved mind. And then verses 29 to 31 is just full of all kinds of great imagery. They have become filled with every kind of, and then here it just keeps going, wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice, gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. And then these two phrases are awesome. Invent ways of doing evil, just in case I didn't cover it all. Inventing ways of doing evil. And this one is really cool. They disobey their parents. It's awesome. Parents, this is an awesome verse. Man, you're, you, you disobeyed me. You're right in Romans 1. Okay. They're senseless, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Okay. An incredible passage when you look at what happens when we take the truth of God and exchange it for what we think makes us smart. I'm cool. I'm good. I I got it. I I don't need a jacket this morning. Kidding me? Come on now. I'm good. I'm good with that. And here's what I see happening in this passage, and it's simply this. I'm taking all that and summarizing it this way, that sin's darkness and pain enters my life whenever I exchange God's ideals for my ideas. Sin's darkness and pain enters my life any time and every time that I exchange God's ideals for my ideas. That every time I say, every time I say, listen, God, yeah, I know, I know, no, I shouldn't look at that, I shouldn't look at that, I want to look at that, I'm, gonna, I'm looking at that, I shouldn't look at that, I'm, I'm kind of looking, I'm looking, because I'm, I'm smart enough. I, I'm looking at that, but you know what, it's not as bad, Tony, it's not as bad as what I know my friends look at. It's not that bad, it's not that bad. And I know I shouldn't, I know I probably shouldn't pass on that piece of gossip, but it was actually a prayer request, so I think, I think that's good, so I'm going to go ahead and do that. I can't believe that, I can't believe they did that. But, but let's, let's pray for them, and um, just trust that God will, will fix them now. Right? Anytime we take the truth of God and exchange it, for a lie. Anytime we take the character of God and his rulership, his authority, and exchange it with our authority, sin's darkness and pain enters my 
world. And this passage, by the way, is not just about, is not just about um, homosexuality. It's not just about gay and lesbian relationships. And that is in the passage, clearly, isn't it? Exchanging natural for unnatural relations. It's not just about that. It is about that and the sin that that is, but it's also about all of the other descriptors in verses 29 to 31. If any of us have ever been involved in arrogance or boasting or pride or greed or disobeying parents, then we are in the same sense involved in the same process of exchanging the truth of God for a lie and putting myself in the position of being God and allowing him to kind of be secondary. So sin's darkness and pain enters my life every time and any time that I choose to exchange, to take away, to exchange God's ideals for my ideas. So here's what I want to say about that. With the sin cycle, we make a decision to do something we know we shouldn't do, to look at something we know we shouldn't do, to pass on something we know we shouldn't do, to, to, um, to act on feelings that we think, eh, we probably shouldn't do that, but we act them anyway. At some point along the way, you and I both know this, that we then have to make a decision. God's in charge, and I think he said no, because although they know God, and we know the right thing to do in many cases, I know that, I think that I'm smart enough to know what to do, and then I do it, and I feel like that was wrong. I feel like it didn't feel right, and so what then do I do? And here's the point of decision for all of us. Do I continue, like this passage is going to say, that in this sense, those in Rome early on were taking one further step away from God and saying, okay, I did the wrong thing, but you know, in order to feel better about myself, I'm going to surround myself with other people who are also doing dumb things so that I continue to feel smart about my life. Or does our, our sin and disobedience result in a conviction in our heart where we say, man, this doesn't feel right, it's not right. I, I just exchanged God's ideals for my idea of what is right. And so I need to turn back and say, God, I need you again. Because the pinnacle and the point of this, the main driver of what Paul is getting after is in verse 21. Verse 21 drives the passage and drives our understanding of it. And if you look at verse 21, he says, Although they knew God, they neither what? Glorified him. Good. This is the group participation time. Although they knew God, they neither what? Glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. That phrase, those two things right there, drives this entire passage. They knew him, but they failed to give weight. They failed to give authority, is the bottom line, to God in this moment. And we have been there, haven't we? When we are struggling with, should I do this, should I not do that? The struggle is, do I obey what is right or not? Do I give the authority to God or not? Do I do it or not? And what we like to talk about here at GPC, and I want to throw it up here, is one of our core values is this. We talk about this. That at the beginning, middle, and end of the day, God is in charge and what he wants goes. Now, we agree with that in principle, uh, most of us, but it becomes difficult, doesn't it? Because here's what we say about that. We say that the Bible reveals God's clearest desires. When I want conflicts with what God wants, what? That's right. He wins. He wins. 
when what I want conflicts with what God wants, he wins. And this is what we say is a value that describes our community. And I'm a part of this community personally. And so when I'm, when I'm dealing with the struggle and the lure and the temptation and the, the, the pull of sinful activity, when I'm pulled into that, I have to make that decision right there to say, okay, at the beginning, middle, and end of the day, God is in charge when he wants to go. Is that true or am I in charge right now? If the Bible reveals God's clearest desires, yeah, and well, he, want, he wins, I'm tired of him winning all the time. And the, the question becomes, on the back end of that, how much authority am I willing to give God and his word in my life? How much authority am I willing to give God and his word in my life? When, at what point am I going to say, God, you are in charge, and I don't want to exchange my ideas for your ideals anymore. I'm done with that. Now, I'll also say this, that um, the struggle here is for many of us, is not in identifying the sin in other people. But the struggle for us as a community is in how do we deal together, not only with the reality that I sin and don't like to tell you about it, but also that I think that I can't talk about my sin because it's not safe to do that in this community. Right? How do I deal with this struggle? That I know, and and if we are red-blooded human beings at all, we all know this, that this ideal that I'm talking about, none of us meet. That you are sitting next to, and I'm standing speaking to, and you're listening to a person who has fallen and will continue to fall into sin and finds it difficult to know who can I talk to about this and where is it safe to do that. The question for us as a community becomes, how do we create a culture here and a community here where I can begin to process the fact that we are all sinners? So one of the questions I think about is, think about this, is there, is there a sin right now that you could imagine if it were confessed around your lunch table today or in your small group or with your friends, is there a sin that, if confessed, would cause kind of a hush to go through the room or through the group at the time? Like, like we're, we're good. I mean, we know guys struggle with porn, but, but no, like the, the homosexual thing, that's more than what we can handle here. And we know... Greed is safe to talk about, but I mean, you're you're talking about adultery. Like you're you're talking about you're thinking about leaving it, your wife. The question is, and here's the thing that we know: if if this morning, let, let's take because it's such a prominent part of this passage, let's take the homosexual piece of this thing. Um, if you are here this morning and you have ever wrestled with um, feelings gay or lesbian feelings, you know intuitively the church is one of the most unsafe places for you to talk about that. You already feel condemnation before we even open our mouths. You you already do. And you are trying to protect yourself because you feel like it's inevitable that if I ever tell anybody about this, that I'm going to be ostracized. I'm going to have the scarlet letter of this generation. And I'm done. And so what you try to do is just manage it. All right? I'm just going to kind of 
put a lid on it and try to keep it under wraps. And maybe I'll tell a friend in California, but not here. I can't. You know that. And if those of you who've never wrestled with that don't know that, now we do know that. The question is, how can we become a community that doesn't just point out sin and say, man, get it right, get it right, read the Bible more and just obey more, but rather becomes a community that embraces confession and, as we talk about it, rejects sin management. This is part of, you're going to get tired of me saying this over and over again, but I'm coming back to the core value number one that we talk about at Grace Point Church. And that is, it's, it's up here again, that is that we live fearlessly, forgive generously, and speak openly. Our language says this. Our language also says this, that we reject the culture of sin management and embrace confession, honesty, and grace in relationship with others. Those words mean something. Those words mean what they say, that we embrace confession, that we embrace honesty, we embrace grace, and we reject sin management that says, I will only, maybe, 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 maybe I'll confess this sin once I get it under control enough to confess it to the level that I really want to confess it. But I cannot confess it when it is raging over me because it's not safe because I'll lose too much in this community. I might be asked to step down. I might be asked to, to move. I might be asked not to do this. I might, they'll look at me differently. And what does it look like to create a community where these conversations are normal? They're normal. And here's what I want to say about that is simply this. Number one, this is very, very difficult to do, but number two, um, every sin choice we have and we make has a backstory, doesn't it? Every choice that you make and that I make to sin has a backstory to it. There's a reason why. And there's... There's something within my life that, has, that causes me to lean into certain sins and causes you, might cause you to look at my life and say, oh, I can't relate to that at all. Why are you even a pastor? And there'd be some sins in your life that I would look at and say, man, I don't, I don't struggle with that at all. And I, I'm trying to figure out where the struggle is. But every sin choice we have has a backstory to it. And my encouragement to us as a community is not, not to condemn the sin, nor the sinner. First of all, that's not our job. Romans 8.1 says there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I think that verse actually means there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Therefore, my role, not to condemn, my role is to say I want to understand the backstory. I want to love you and listen to you and care for you and create a space where there is no sin that gets confessed, where there's a hush in my presence. There's no sin that gets confessed where I say, wow, seriously, that? Oh, yeah, we'll pray, we'll pray. We'll put, I, mean, I won't put it on Facebook, but I'll pray for you. What does it look like for you? for your family, for your small group, for your Sunday school class, for your marriage, to say, listen, our place, our place is safe. Why? There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. 
And my role is not to condemn you, but to figure out how I can love you and serve you well as we walk together through homosexuality, evil, greed, slander, malice, disobedience, perversions, unnatural relationships, all of what Paul says we all struggle with. This is the place that I want Grace Point to be like. I think it's the place that we want Grace Point to be like. Not a place that says, come on in and we don't care about sin, but we care about it and we love you and let's walk together through it. Because we, together, know that every story, every story matters. Every story matters. Sin's darkness and pain comes into our lives every time we choose to exchange God's ideals for my ideas. This is what we see. The question is, how can I love you well? How can you love me well enough to say, I want to know you. I want to know you. I want to create that culture of safety and confession and embracing one another. Let's pray together. Our good God and Heavenly Father, we, uh, we come through a difficult passage in which we see really the depravity of man laid out, the natural, the net results of our sin and of our choices that leaves us all, leaves us all in darkness and pain, leaves us all struggling to know, man, where can I go to confess this? And then truly most of us are just like, I can't go to the church, so I'll just fix it myself because it's not safe to do that. Father, I, I pray that you would help us be men and women of courage who live fearlessly, who forgive generously and speak openly, who will say to a man and to a woman, no, I will not live anymore in a culture of sin management. I will not do that. I will not go on pretending that I don't have these feelings. I will not go on pretending that I don't wrestle with pornography. I will not go on pretending that I don't wrestle with deep feelings of insecurity that cause me to be impatient with my children and cause me to be, to be angry at my employees and just cause me to be to be distant from you. I'm not going to continue to move and live as if none of that is happening because it is. Father, help us to be courageous men and women who understand there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. That all the righteousness that we ever want has been secured for us at the cross. That together we are to love one another, to encourage and serve one another to support one another, and to point one another toward the cross where hope and grace and restoration come. And Father, we are, um, we are aware, we are so aware of the truth of some of the things that we say, but it's so hard for them to filter down into our hearts. And so even as we sing this last song, your grace is enough, your grace is enough for me, may the truth of that simple statement really filter into my life and into our hearts. And it might mean that some this morning can't sing it and just need to meditate on that and reflect on that, that your grace is enough, that your grace is indeed enough. So give us courage, Father, this week, as we need to have conversations. There's, I believe, men and women here, maybe boys and girls, who need to have conversations this week. who need to talk, maybe for the first time, about the things that they've been wrestling with and have felt like to this point it's just not been safe. Make it be safe this week. For all of us, I pray that you'd give us the the sensitivity to help people around us know that we are safe people, that they can speak to, talk to, engage with,
to help one another along this journey together. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.